it was one of those things that I didn't pay attention to much when I was younger. Um, but I have, over the years, encounter, I, was, I was thinking of a dear pastor friend that I had uh, who passed away last year, uh, who had served faithfully in a church for 27 years, and then uh, a group of people thought that he was too old for that congregation, and so they kind of exited him out. And then he, um, he struggled in going from church to little church to little church, but he was faithful in ministry until he was well into his 90s. And, uh, and it's, it was people like him that Mission Dignity was created for. Uh, when you got to a place of retirement, uh, there just was no retirement. He didn't own a house. He didn't, I mean, he was, uh, somebody had provided a house for him to rent uh, for years and years. And, uh, and so it is, there are so many guys who, you know, and the thing is, it doesn't have anything to do with level of education. It doesn't have anything to do with uh, how good you are as a preacher, pastor, or whatever. A lot of times people think that you get promoted when you get to larger churches, but that's not how it works in ministry. You just go where the Lord leads you to go, and you serve where he tells you to serve. And that may be a small church. It may be a bigger church. It doesn't, it's not relevant to those things a lot of times. Uh, and uh, so it is. I, I do think it's something worth considering. I hope you'll take time to um, pray about whether God would have you to to give to Mission Dignity. And if you need more information, we can give that to you. But it's all online. And I uh, hope you'll take a look at it. We are uh, in a series called A New Way of Living Life. And this is the last Sunday for that, uh, this last message in that series. It is about, just take it a moment to look at this passage in Hebrews. About, it's, it's not a new way for those of us who've been in the faith. But it is remembering that when we go out and we share the gospel with people, we are we are asking them to literally change the way they live on a daily basis for the rest of their life, for all eternity. And and when you and I made that turn, and sometimes we made the commitment to live that new way of life, but we get away from it, we're not actually doing it. We're not actually living that life. And so it's always good to have a reminder of what that looks like. And so the past couple of weeks we've been looking at, at some different ways that this is what it looks like to live life in a new way. And last week we talked about holding on and persevering and how perseverance is part of, not quitting, is part of what it means to uh, to be faithful. I was reading an article this week about how um, how important it is during difficult times to understand that as followers of Jesus Christ, in difficult times, that is where we're supposed to thrive. That's where we're supposed to show people and people are supposed to see something is different about us. Something. This is where, where we're tired and worn out and, and when life becomes difficult and stressed, this is where the church steps up and becomes what other people are not. And where we show people this is the strength we, that undergirds us. If we are not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, if we're not being strengthened by Christ to do that, well, then that gets gets to be difficult. So in order to show people this new way of living life, we have to be living that new way of life, which is empowered empowered by something beyond ourselves. Today, we want to talk about being considerate. Being considerate. Now, this is something that seems to be uh, a lost art when we think of it when we think of people as a whole, we think of when we watch the news and see examples of people and people everywhere, people being considerate doesn't seem to be the forefront of our society today. But when I look at people on an individual level, when I 
encounter people regularly, even at a Minute Mart or, or some type of convenience store or something, and people are in a hurry or whatever. I, you know, when going into a, a, a store, somebody will stop, unless you go in first, open the door for you or whatever, or say, excuse me, or you, you go in front of me or whatever. That happens all the time. Now, it, it, it stands out when somebody's not like that because it's the exception to the rule. It's the exception when somebody is completely inconsiderate. Um, so I don't think I don't think it's as much an issue as the world would like us to think that people are not considerate. And this is tra- this crosses cultures. I've been all over the world and been in a lot of different places. Now, granted, the French are not considerate. I, I just want to put that out there. That's kind of a joke, not really, but kind of. Uh, and uh, <laughs> the um, but the if you're French, I'm sorry, I wasn't being very considerate of you. But the um, uh, but the Overall, everywhere in the world, places we've gone, in general, people are considerate. But I want to take it just a little bit further. I want us to think of being considerate as actually thinking about people, thinking about people uh, who are around us all the time. Not just in times of being when we're polite, but actually actively considering others more than we consider ourselves more than we consider ourselves because those times we're polite to people at Walmart in line and polite to people in traffic or whatever when we are considered in those moments even those are difficult they come and they go really fast what's harder to do is to consider people all the time because we we quickly go from I'm going to open the door for you and now it's done but I don't want to know you I don't want to know anything about your life. I don't want to consider what's going on with you right now. I'm, I'm actually, I'm just, I'll give you five seconds. And then i got to get back to me. It'll get back to me and everything that I'm doing. And we're followers of Jesus Christ. When we are considerate, that means we consider other people all the time. We're always, when we go to a crowded place, we're looking and considering the people around us and considering what they're going through. We look and see someone who's struggling. We see someone who's having a difficult time. And we can pray for them or even walk up to them and say, how can I help you? What can I do for you? I had a deacon friend, and they're just good friends. I don't know why I call him a deacon. He was a deacon. But, uh, but they were good friends of ours. And his wife uh, was suffering from breast cancer, which eventually took her life. And they were a younger couple, and so it was turned out to be a very uh, difficult struggle. And they were going through this, and we would meet with them. And, and she was always just such a picture of grace because... Um, here she was going through the struggle and chemotherapy and radiation and all these different things, yet every opportunity she got when she was feeling good, she would invite us over and she would insist on serving and asking how you're doing and wanting to know more about your life. She you know, had strict rules. We didn't talk about the cancer. She didn't want to talk about herself. She wanted to talk about other things, so we did. But I remember one time we were watching television and, and we were just watching TV and, and her husband wasn't the talker. He was... I didn't realize how much he was paying attention. Sometimes I thought he was tuning us out. But while we would talk, and he said he just enjoyed listening to other people talk. But we're sitting there talking, and he gets out of his chair, and he walks over to me. He takes my glasses off my face, like when I wore glasses. And he took my glasses off my face, and he goes, leaves. And, we're, and we didn't break conversation. It was just how weird we are. But we just kept going. And then he comes back later and puts my glasses back on my head. And I just had to stop and say, what are you doing? And he's like, they were dirty. And I thought I'd clean them for you. But you looked like you were having such a good conversation, I didn't want to interrupt. 
and I and I thought, wow, I I don't pay attention to other people even at, at anywhere near that level. You know, I might see if you've got something green in your teeth and struggle to whether I tell you you've got something green in your teeth. But to be looking at other people and to be thinking, those must be annoying him. I've got to, why don't I do this to help him out? I don't, I just think what a servant he is. But that's, what a picture of the body of Christ. What a picture of Christ himself. Who when he encountered people, he's not thinking about his own needs. I mean, that's the, that's the beauty of Jesus, isn't it? And that what we're, it, we, it draws us to him is the person of Jesus and we talk about Jesus and who he is and why we love reading about him and hearing about him is because he is a person who always is caring for other people, always always looking for the needs of other people. We don't ever read in the Gospels about Jesus whining about his own situation or talking about the pains he's experiencing or, the, or how hard the walk was or how much he was sweating after he did this or, or you know what kind of pain is this that I've got going on here or whatever. Or just the uncomfortableness of being human. But look in Hebrews chapter 10 with me as we look at this two verses today. Now last week it was one verse. This week is two verses, so this sermon should be twice as long as last week, right? Isn't that how that works? So Hebrews chapter 10 verse 20. I think I would have turned there already. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 24. The writer of Hebrews says, And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's pray. Father, I just pray today, Lord, that we would see how important it is for us to be considering one another on a much deeper level. Lord, help us to see people as you see people. Help us to feel good about ourselves because we're secure in Christ, because we have everything we need in you and we don't have to think about ourselves. We don't have to worry about ourselves because we are secure in you. And Lord, if we are not secure in you, may that be our primary concern today. How can we be, how can we be secure in Christ Lord, now empower us with your Holy Spirit. Do your work in our midst, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I want to do this morning is redefine provocation. There's a lot of provocation going on, a lot of provoking. And in this election climate, uh, we, we say provocative words. And when you look up provocative in the dictionary, this is what it says. Action or speech that makes someone annoyed or angry, especially deliberately. Now that happens a lot. Happens a lot. In fact, when you if you read anything on social media, if you go through Twitter, you don't have to go very far to hear provocative words. People who are saying things deliberately to make you annoyed or angry. You know this doesn't work. I don't know if you know somebody who has a testimony who says, you know, I thought one way, then I got on Twitter and read some of the things that, yeah, made me really annoyed, really made me angry. But then I thought, you know what? I'm going to start thinking like they think, just so I won't be annoyed or angry anymore. That never happens. So all we do it, the only reason we do it, is the reason we do it as kids, just to tick 
people off. You know, that's why I would say things to my sister. That's why I would do the, say things to people that I wanted to annoy. I would say things that I knew what I knew how to push their buttons. You know, you know about pushing buttons. But look at some of the words that are used as synonyms: goading, prodding, egging on, incitement, rousing, stirring, pr- uh, inducement, urging, stimulus, pressure, annoyance, irritation, nettling, agitation, vexation, being rubbed up the wrong way, harassment, plaguing, molestation, teasing, taunting, torment. These are all words for provocation. But there are two words that are squeezed in here, and one is encouragement. And the other is inspiration. Those are the words that we want to latch on to. Those are the words of provocation that the writer of Hebrews is trying to get us to latch on to. Look what he says again in verse 24. He says, I can find it again. Here it is. And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works. Now that's pretty amazing when you think about it. Provoking people to love and to do good things. This is what we are supposed to be about. We are supposed to be the reason people around us want to do good things. Be the reason that people around you want to do good things. Be the reason in your family. Be the reason that your wife wants to to do good things for other people. Be the reason that your husband wants to do good things. Be the reason that your children want to do good things. Be the reason that your parents want to do good things. We are constantly responding to negativity around us. We're constantly responding to people we think are attacking us. I catch myself. I've done counseling for years and years and... and, um, and I know what to tell people when I see them provoking one another to do bad things and, and how to lead them into provoking another to do good things. And, and, the, and one of the things that happens in our relationships and our communication with other people is somebody will say something and we will feel attacked. Now they may or may not have that in mind when they do it, but they say it and we feel as though, so we go on the defensive. And so we say something to attack back. We are the epitome of the Cold War. You remember what we were constantly, we saw the Russians over here and us over here, and we were just waiting for them to push a button. We were, wait, we were looking. We, submit, we see a missile flying up over this way. We're sending missiles back that way. We are ready for that. And we got missiles over here, and you got missiles over here. I remember them saying we had enough missiles to blow up the Earth seven times, which seems a little excessive. I think once, one time blowing up there does it. I, thought, I don't know if seven times just seems more than... Overkill, right? But anyway, the but we're but what we're saying is we you got a bunch, we got a bunch, you launch yours, we launch ours. You wonder why our nations were like that? Because we are like that. It's like you come at me, I'm coming back at you. You say a hurtful thing to me, well I'm gonna say a hurtful thing to you. Some of us are pretty diabolical. We're we're like, you say a hurtful thing to me, I'll wait. I'll wait for a more opportune time when it'll hurt more. I'm going to think about this for a little while. You know? Kind of like we're like cats. We're looking for an opportunity to pounce. And maybe you're thinking of that right now. Maybe you're, maybe you're, maybe you're not even paying attention to the message because you're thinking of how to get back at that person who made you mad this morning. And you're just going through it in your head. We're like that. We're, 
diabolical in that way, but that is not how we live for Christ. We live for Christ. We're to be thinking of ways to provoke each other to do good things, to make right decisions. The process is we're thinking, considering, saying, how can I, what can I do to provoke them to love more, to provoke them to encourage more? And, and the only way we're able to do this is if we're in with each other. I think what happens a lot of times is we, we get distant from each other. We don't spend time together. So that's the next thing. We need to, we need to make time for one another. Make time for one another. If you're going to provoke somebody to love and good deeds, you have to spend time. I, Again, this is something you learn when you are studying marriage counseling. People are always complaining about the lack of affection in their marriage. And wives would always tell me, well, he didn't help with the dishes. He didn't, help, didn't take out the garbage. He didn't help with the kids. And then he wants me to be affectionate toward him. It's like, I'm worn out and exhausted from doing all the things he should be doing. What she's saying is, really is, I feel like I'm alone doing everything, and then all of a sudden you show up, and you're one attention. Well, that's, that's not just true in marriage relationships. That's true in every relationship. In every relationship, my mom used to hate it. She hated it. I would go home to visit. And I went home from college and I would sleep in my bed, and I would eat her food, and then I'd leave, go hang out with my friends all weekend, and say bye, pack everything up. I sometimes would bless her with my laundry and say, hey, would you take care of this for me while I'm out with my friends? And I remember her crying over that and thinking, what are you crying over? Why are you so upset? It's like, And then it's kind of like, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to do And now, guess what? She must have prayed a prayer or something. I don't know what she did. She cursed me. I hope your kids do that to you someday. Because by golly, they they don't do it as much now. But they did. I was talking to a friend the other day whose kids are still in that age. And he was talking about being empty nest. I said, your kids are still home. How can you be an empty nester? He goes, "They're, they're here, kind of, but they're not here. They don't, we don't spend time together. It's really hard to consider other people when you're not spending time together. And it is, it is strange because now I, I go visit my mom and, and I know that I have things. She has a list of things that need to be done when I'm there, so I'll take care of things. But I know at some point she's going to just sit in her living room and she's gonna, she just wants me to be there and just to talk and just to share. When you lose a parent, you realize they don't stay forever. And you wish you had those moments back. When you lose anybody you love, of course you remember that. And as followers of Christ, we have this advantage because he's told us this. We've been you're learning about it today. If you never heard it before, you're hearing it now, and that is the people around you, you're not gonna have them forever. You will not have opportunities forever to consider them. To love them. To do good things for them. Look at verse 25. He says, verse 8. 
not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing. Now, that is like the most quoted scripture about church attendance. Every, every preacher is going to talk about why we should be going to church. They share that verse. It is not about church attendance. We are not just to attend. Do not just attend a worship service. Gather with your church family. It is to be, when he says we are not to neglect each other, he means we're not to, he's saying we cannot neglect spending time with each other. This is why people don't go to church. It's because they think I can get it on TV. Well, guess what? When you watch me on TV or on the internet or whatever, I don't see you. It's a one-sided conversation. Let me try that with my mom. Say, mom, mom, I don't have to visit you anymore. You can just see me on TV. Just watch me. I'll say everything I want to say. Isn't that good enough? Of course that's not good enough. Of course you know that. Of course you don't want to. When you fix dinner for your family, you're wanting your family to sit down and eat dinner with you. When everybody grabs their plate and leaves, you... You know something's not right about that because we need that time to gather together. We need to hear from each other. How are you doing? What's going on? And so forth. And when you are thinking in your mind, ah, oh, this is, I hate this. I don't have time for this. You are not a follower of Jesus at that moment. You're a follower of you. You're serving you or whoever else you're going to because Jesus took time for others. Disciples are going to go into town and get some food. You guys go ahead. I'm going to have this conversation with this woman at the well. I'm going to learn more about her. We're going to talk to each other. Her life's going to be changed today. I don't even know who... She doesn't know who I am. We've never had a conversation before. But today, we're going to get to know each other. The body of Christ needs to spend time gathering together. We've been encouraging you to get together in life groups or to have connections with each other. This is a struggle right now. There are some obstacles in our way. Let me give you a little hint. That's been true for the body of Christ for 2,000 years. We've always had obstacles in the way of getting together and being with one another. You have been trained for years that showing up at a specific time on Sunday morning and sitting in a chair and listening to a sermon is what God wants you to do in service for Him and He's pleased with that and that's all you need and you have been lied to. While He wants you to hear His Word preached and proclaimed, He specifically here is saying, do not neglect, do not neglect gathering together. That's why we always say circles are better than rows. This is when you're sitting at a table or sitting in a room and you have an opportunity to speak back and forth to one another. How are you doing? What is going on with you? How can I pray for you? What's happening in your life? You said this was happening a while back. How, what's going on with that? How are things progressing? How's your spiritual journey? How's your marriage? How are your kids? How are you doing? How are you feeling? What's your physical thing is going on with you? We, we have to do this. 
We have to do this in order to be the people that God's called us to be. In order for us to be pleasing to Him, to provoke each other to love and good works, we have to be together. I am charging you hard. All I'm saying, I put it in our, our newsletter that goes out. I don't know if it's out yet, but maybe out today, I don't know. But in the, whatever, the evangel, yeah. Find another family, another household. Whether you do it on Zoom, whether you do a phone conference once a month, whether you get together in person and say this is the group we're going to meet with regularly and deal with the COVID problem, however, whatever, just however God leads you to do it, find another family to meet with, to eat with, to pray with at least once a month. And then, and we said, call a staff person or let me know. I gave you my phone number and my email. Send me a message and say, hey, we want to do this and this is the people we're going to do it with. And then I will be there or one of our staff will be there and we'll bring a, a, what we call a life group coach to be there also to, to be there to help and encourage you and to show you this is what you do next. It's not going to be rocket science. It's going to be plan your next meeting before you leave. Eat together and don't... You pray a prayer of blessing on the food, but that's not the prayer time. The prayer time is we all get in a circle. And like I said, if, if, you, if you're not, if people, people who aren't comfortable, and it could be a hybrid, it could be these two families are comfortable being together because we're already spending time together. That's why you, you pick people who you already spend time with. You've already been exposed to, so you're not exposing yourself to new people. And then pray about inviting at least one other family in or adding somebody in a Zoom call or something or on the telephone. Just put them on the telephone, put them on the speaker the whole time. You can do that. Plug the phone in so the battery doesn't go down. But spend the time together. Spend the time together. The early church did this every day. I'm asking one time a month. And if we can't do this once a month, we're too busy. We are not being the church He has called us to be. We are absolutely disobeying this passage. And Bible study is not the same. Bible study is not the same. You go to a Bible study, you study the Bible. Now, we, some Sunday school classes will do this because you have such a need for it. But when you are not intentionally doing it, sometimes somebody will be missing from that Sunday school class or whatever, and you're like, oh, they're not here today or whatever, and we move on. In life groups, you don't move on. They're not here. We find them. Where are they? Call them. Check on them. Who's going to check on them? You check on them? Then check on them. The next time, what happened? What was the deal? What's happening? What's going on with them? Why aren't they here? Why aren't they here meeting with us together? And we do this every month, keeping track of each other, encouraging each other, provoking each other to love and do good works. Get in a circle. Everybody share. Every, this is what happens to happen. Everybody has to share. Everybody has to is given. The, everyone is given the opportunity to share. Everyone is given the opportunity to pray. Now, don't avoid it. Just if you're not, you don't have to pray. So if you're not comfortable praying, then we'll we try to find ways to not make you feel uncomfortable because we want you to be there. But don't just attend. Gather together, friends. Why this is so important is because as our 
as the culture of our world and society go further away from the gospel, further away from the teachings of the Bible and so forth, it may get harder for us to connect together and say the things that are on our hearts and on our minds, to share openly the struggles that we are facing. In some countries, it is illegal to gather and talk about the things we talk about openly here. That could be the government right there with a tone. And finally, where seldom is heard a discouraging word. I just put that in there because I remember that Home Home on the Range song. And thought, the reason why we're Home Home on the Range is because that's where you don't hear discouraging words when you get away from everybody. I've... I've done it. I go off. I love being in Alaska in the middle of nowhere. Not just because it's free. I don't know if you know this or not. The cabins, the public use cabins are free if you get there first. And you can stay for a week. No rent. No electricity. No plumbing. But there's no rent. (laughs) No charge. And... There is seldom heard a discouraging word when you're there (laughs) alone. (laughs) Unless you're the one uttering the discouraging word. But you know, we should not have to get isolated. We should not have to go hundreds of miles away from people just to avoid hearing discouragement and negativity. And I have heard this about churches. If I haven't heard it here yet, I will hear it at some point. Why don't you come to church? Everybody's so negative. It's always so discouraging. Definitely we hear that about business meetings. Why don't you go to business meetings? It's always so negative or discouraging and people are always arguing about things. And it's not that we shouldn't debate things. It's not that we shouldn't talk about things. It's that we were taught in school for every negative thing you said to a child, you're supposed to say three positive things or you were supposed to say seven positive things or 99 positive things depending on the seminar you were attending at the time. But, but the point is this. People shouldn't... It should be seldom you are getting discouraged. It should be much more often you are being encouraged. Look what he says in this last part of verse 25. He says but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. We should aggressively, aggressively seek others out. Seek fellow Jesus followers to encourage every day. To encourage every day. And here's here's the thing about life groups. You are intentionally getting together with people once a month. But that doesn't mean you only talk to them once a month. I'm hoping within those groups you'll call some of those people every day. There's people I talk to every day. Every day. And the reason why we talk to each other one a day, every day is because it's encouraging. When I'm down, he encourages me. When he's down, I encourage him. That's, that's a good relationship. We all need encouragement. We all need somebody to say, hey, hey, hey. And, and sometimes just to listen, and he knows when, when I'm venting and going off, it's, that's not the moment of saying, it's all going to be wonderful, it's all going to be good. He just listens. And he finds a way to be encouraging. 
And sometimes it's just, man, you're really having a tough day at it. I'm going to pray for you. Or let me pray for you now. I don't just have one friend that I do that way. I have two or th- well, two people that I contact about every day. One person I do contact every day. One person I contact most every day. And that goes back to that. There is a friend that cl- sticks closer than a brother kind of thing. And a, and a what is a, a cord of three strings is not easily broken. You can't really expand that out to a bunch of people. You can't call 35 people every day and encourage them because then you're discouraged. <laughs> but you can one or two one or two people and then other people periodically just when they when God puts them on your heart when God puts somebody in your heart just send them a message say hey just was thinking of you today and prayed for you took time to pray for you just wanted to encourage you don't know what's going on in your life maybe you do know what's going on in their life and encourage them maybe you don't know what's going on in their life but whatever the case say something positive to them I, I am not. I am absolutely not asking this for myself. I, I am abnormally privileged when it comes to this. Now, people do say discouraging things to pastors, but overwhelmingly, people say a lot of encouraging thing to pastors. We get a lot of attention. So this is not about me. I get a lot of attention. It is about people like my wife. I'm looking back there, see if she's there. Uh, the she. Likes encouragement. Needs encouragement. Now, let me just give you a little, just a little counsel on encouragement. Hey, I just wanted to call and say I was thinking about you. Just calling to say, thinking about you, love you, wanted to encourage you. While I have you on the phone, I was wondering if I could borrow something from you. Or I was wondering if you could do this for me. No, don't do that. If you... Have something you need from them or to borrow them, fine, call them. But let that be what the phone call is about. Do not mix those two together because this is exactly what they will think the moment you got the phone. They weren't thinking of me. They were thinking of them. The mo- you're, they're, they're excited that you're encouraging them and then the moment you ask for something or, hey, well, I got you on the phone, you've lost all of it. It's like, ah, I just need me. People who are discouraged think that. People don't really love me. People don't really care for me. They just want what I have to give or want something from me. Parents think that about kids. kids that's, especially with your parents, absolutely do that. Absolutely do that with your parents. They, they need to know that you just love them and you don't just need stuff from them. They need to know that you care. I know it's crazy to think that you should encourage your parents. Why would your parents need encouragement? That's crazy, isn't it? But they do. And so do people right here. Always be considering who's here. Be considering who's not here. Now, you may think that people don't want me to call and bug them about not being at church. No bug them about not being at church. Don't say, we missed you at church today and imply there was a chair that was empty and we wish you were in it because then our numbers would have been higher. Don't do that. Call and say, hey, I didn't get to talk to you today. So I thought I'd call you on the phone. Say, how are you doing? Is everything cool? Everything good with you? Just want to say I love you. Never throw in the sentence, come back here and be in this attending mode. Now, you're going to do something at your house. 
and you're going to gather together with the body of Christ or do something, or you can be here at the church in a big room or something. Say, we're going to get together, we're going to eat, and we're going to pray. We want you to be there. We'd love for you to be there. Love to see you there. You see the difference in that? You see how we're going to gather together and we want you to be a part of our gathering? That makes somebody feel much more important than we're having a service where we're all going to be looking at this guy talking and our numbers go up when you're there and so we look but more important as a church. So if you will be there, that really helps us bump our numbers up. That seems self-serving, doesn't it? But when you invite somebody to be a part of your family, that means something. And let me tell you, people are alone right now. Or lonely. Sometimes we can be lonely and not be alone. Well, this morning, as we have this invitation, if you need encouragement, I want you to come ask for it. If you need to ask for somebody else, come ask. We're going to take a meal together right as soon as we're done with this invitation. It's us meeting together, eating together, praying together as the body of Christ. It's what connects us together. But let me tell you, this connection only works when after we do it, we actually do become part of each other's lives. This meal is just the thing that says, hey, we are all called by the same name. We're all worshiping the same God who loves us, who died for us, and we celebrate the life we have in Him. That's why we invite all people in the body of Christ to participate in this meal together. It's what connects us together. But faith without works is dead, and the work that we need to do is being intentional in spending time with each other. And so... This morning, if you feel alone, you just, I'm right here, I'm standing right here, and I will love to pray with you. But if you see somebody else in here and you want to go to them, go to them and say, "Hey, I just, I wish you'd pray that I would be. I need a word of encouragement. I know this about this body of believers. You look at these people and you think, ah, they're not going to say anything. I'm telling you, look for a friendly face. You walk over to anybody in this room, they're going to give you a word of encouragement." I'm going to say something good to you that may, that you need to hear. But if you're here today and say, well, I, you know, I'm good. I really, I'm blessed. I'm encouraged. Then I'm praying that God will lay somebody on your heart who you know needs encouragement and that you would intercede for them. What that means is pray for them. Pray for somebody else who needs encouragement and God would give them encouragement or that he would give you the strength to encourage them. Or maybe they're not listening to you. Maybe you need to pray that he'd raise up other people to pray instead. Whatever the case, let's take... Just a moment. Like I said, if you'd stand with me. Daniel's going to lead us in a song here in a second. And just while we're singing, just right, like I said, right here, right now. If you're not afraid to come up near me or whatever, that's okay. If you don't want the distance, that's fine too. But if you need encouragement, I'm here to give it. Everybody else is. But if you know to pray for somebody for encouragement, I'm going to invite you to come to the altar if you just pray for them, that they would be encouraged. Father, we just thank you, God, for how good.